Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Amen. Welcome back to Digital Man Challenge. Again, here with Sam Reeder, Chris Burke, diving into the Psalms. This is our fourth week in the Psalm. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 51, which is a Psalm of penitence, which is a fun word uh, that you could equate to repentance. And so I'm really, really excited to talk about this Psalm in particular as we've, as we've worked our way through the Psalms. Psalm 1, made very clear that there's a path to life and peace and joy and a path to death and destruction. The, the second week we did Psalm 23, which showed us, um, it was a Psalm of confidence, so it showed us how to take our fear to God. Uh, psalm 42, last week we, it was a Psalm of lament, showed us how to take our sadness, our sorrow to the Lord. This week, a Psalm of repentance. Uh, we're coming before the Lord with what every one of us has and what with a, a lot of us men really, really wrestle with, which is guilt and shame. Mm. So we're going to see um, the beauty of the gospel today is really, really clear. I'm excited about that. But I, I want to be clear right from the very front is that this, this is a psalm that is the proof of the pudding that there is nothing that you can have done mm. uh, or will do that— um, eternally removes you from the presence of the Lord without repentance. We're talking about our way back, the path into uh, our Father's arms. So I'm excited about that. The Psalm has a little bit of a context though. So we're going to learn how to uh, repent. It's a template, a template of repentance. But Sam, this story is of David, and you can find it in 2 Samuel. Catch us up on the context here. Sure. Uh, so maybe you're familiar with this, in case you're not. A lot of people uh, at least have heard of the story of David and Goliath. Kind of the boy kills the, the giant. So that boy, David, grows up to eventually be the king of Israel. Uh, he has a, a tight-knit group of men that are his most fierce warriors, one of which his name is Uriah. And apparently Uriah's wife is pretty good looking. Her name is Bathsheba. So we're told in uh, 2 Samuel 11 that it's in the spring, uh, the armies are off at war, and David stays at home. He goes out on the roof, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He likes what he sees, and he's the king, so he sends people to go take her. He, they bring her to him, and he has sex with her. We would call that plainly today rape. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up. It doesn't work. So then he has her husband killed, and as soon as she's done mourning, he takes her as his wife. And to jump a little further ahead, the baby eventually gets sick and dies. It is about as broken as it gets. It is dark. Talk about guilt and shame. It's heavy. Yeah. In the midst of that story, God works through a prophet, which you could just say is a spokesman for God. A man named Nathan comes to David and uses kind of a story, almost like a parable, the way Jesus teaches, and, and, and uses that to, to convict and to reveal David's sin, and it all comes to light, and David just becomes broken over the whole situation. It is with those events in mind that he pins Psalm 51. Right. Heavy, heavy well stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, Burke, you want to read it and yeah. pray for us? <clears throat> psalm 51, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with the hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me, oh, save me from blood guilt, O oh God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. God, um, we just, we're just grateful uh, for the transparency of your word. God, grateful for uh, the fact that we do not have to be perfect to have a relationship with you because uh, none of us are, God. And today we examine um, David's heart, uh, a heart that the Bible says uh, was after yours. And so uh, even though his sin is deep and ugly and messy, God, uh, we can learn about your redemptive grace and how you love us so much and how you showed us that love through Jesus, God. So I just pray you'd open our eyes, um, clear our minds and prepare our hearts that uh, we may see uh, just the amazing grace that only you offer uh, through this psalm today and that that grace may pour out in our lives to others. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Yeah, so we will, we will jump right in. Um, verses 1 and 2. What, a lot you know to what? cover here. A lot to a cover. A lot to cover. And we've been really bad on time <laughs> so far. So uh, I want to catch this. This is, I didn't write this down beforehand. But when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. That's an easy application to our man challenge community should lead to repentance. Mm. Like I should have brothers calling my sin. They should see it. They should know it. They should call me on it. And I should be moved to repentance from that. So I hope and pray that that is a reality in each of our man challenge groups. Uh, and if it's not, it can be. Mm-hmm. But then verses one and two, David starts here. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So as we look at a template of repentance, how, how do I repent? Uh, this is very, very practical today. Again, we've got alliteration. They all start with A's. <laughs> the first thing David does is he appeals to God. 
He doesn't, he doesn't admit or confess, pour himself uh, all over the floor, spill his guts, get it off his chest. The first thing he does is he comes to the God of the universe and says, um, Lord, I need your unfailing love. I need your great compassion. And those are covenant terms. He's appealing to the character of God. And so right from the very beginning here, we as Christians can see the gospel woven into this. I, I see the death and resurrection of Christ as the basis of my ability to repent. So he starts there, I appeal to who God is. I don't want to stay there too much longer. Anything you want to throw in there? Well, I, I just would say just as a kind of a framework around this, as it's easy to be like, man, David was a lousy dude. Because mm-hmm. as good as as good as Sam did uh, recapping that story, I think one of the pieces of the story that kind of makes the harem arm stand up is like he sent Uriah with a letter that was essentially his own death sentence. And Uriah was so trustworthy that David knew he wouldn't read the letter. Like that's the man he sent to kill. That's the man whose wife he knocked up. That being said, David was also like the king. Yeah. And so like David could have easily, if he wasn't a man after God's own heart, like he could have easily been like, hang with him. I'm king. To the victor goes the spoils. Like, I wanted her, I took her, he was collateral damage, off he went. Like he, David, as awful as that whole situation is, like he's showing us a heart that, that longs and pants and thirsts for the Lord mm-hmm. by the fact of how broken he is about his sin. There is no place in David's heart that says, I'm king, I can kind of do what I want. Yeah. He sees himself through the lens of a sinner. Mm-hmm. And in desperate need of God's unfailing love. And so I just, I think you see that right out of the gate. The king of Israel is broken. Yeah. And his position in the world cannot change the uh, current condition of his heart. Wow. What a, spect- a spectacular segue to the second uh, point in our, our template of repentance. First, you got to appeal to God. Second is acknowledge your sin to God. We, we have to do exactly that. You see right there, in, in, I mean, starting verse one, my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. It's not my dad's fault. It's not the situation's fault. It's not because the Lord abandoned me. This is me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it. Yeah, it's not 90, 10, yeah. her and me. It's, it's yeah. 100 Mason. Mm-hmm. My, my decision at the end of the day. Uh, and so we've got to acknowledge our sin. But I feel like in my experience with men, Burke, there are guys who are just willfully ignorant. Mm. They, they, they blame shift, they justify. Um, how do you practically acknowledge your own sin? What are, what are some of the ways you do that? Well, I think it, it first starts with a perspective of who I am in light of the gospel. I'm a sinner. Mm. You know what sinners do? They sin. <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. Like that's, that is on the list of my resume as a human sinner it's first, like, I, and David talks about, like, I was born that way. I'm a sinner. So please don't put your hope in me because I will let you down. Like, mm. that, that's who I am. Yeah. I can point you to the one who won't, but it ain't me, mm. you know? And so, um, you know, I love the truth of Scripture, the authenticity of Scripture. First John 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Like, you can give all these flowery sermons you want and all these beautiful Scriptures. Like, if you don't think you're a sinner— you do not know the gospel. Very simple. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Like, like list step number one of understanding who God is and accepting his grace, acknowledging you are a sinner. And so just for the men out there, you know, to me, it's a sign of narcissism to a certain degree. Like I am pretty good. Like, you know, I don't, it really wasn't my fault. I didn't. And for those of you who have children, you see this all the time in the lives of your kids. Like you're a sinner. Admit that you sin so I can forgive you. But she, (laughs) yeah. And and not like, (laughs) just like God, like I've already forgiven him. Right. Right. He's just a kid. Right. She's just a kid. Like, but I need them to confess it so that they can kind of practice that spiritual discipline, right? So um, that's good. Starts with identity. Acknowledge who I'm, are you? I am, I am a sinner. And to be honest with you, the, 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 to take that just a half a step further is some men, once they've accepted Christ, beat themselves up over their sin. And I've tried to encourage men through the years, like, dude, quit making this a salvation issue. You are saved. Yeah. You need to quit doing that. That's no good for you, mm-hmm. but you are saved. And the, the, the sin in your life is not a sign that you aren't under God's protection. It's a sign that when you are apart from his Holy Spirit, you're, you're not making you very are. good decisions. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, so it actually helps you, encourages you that I want to be closer to God, hopefully not cause you to run further away. That's good. I think this point of acknowledging sin is super helpful. I think that's all very practical. I think it might be helpful if we backtrack a little bit and just maybe define the term sin. Uh, in, in this psalm specifically, we, we see iniquity, transgressions, mm. sins. They seem to be interchangeable. But if we are to confess sin, I think also I don't want to assume knowledge on any of our men's part. Let's for a second unpack what, what does that term mean? Yeah, that's helpful too. I think because in defining sin, what we'll see in verse 4 is it kind of defines it for us is the weight of it. And that's really important in acknowledging sin. I'll, I'll get there. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, here's a, sh- a short definition. Sin is treason. So you see in verse four, uh, David writes, against you, he's talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And if you have a brain, you're thinking, what about Bathsheba, Uriah, that dude that, that uh, David sent to bail on Uriah? Like he caused him to sin seems like he sinned against more than God here. But what you can see in the text and all throughout scripture is this is, this is hyperbole. There's repetition. You, you only, God, I've sinned only against you. It's treason. Let me put it this way. If I committed treason against the United States, I would probably commit several other crimes along the way. <laughs> I maybe steal a car. I maybe break in somewhere. What's the highest crime I'm tried for? Treason. Treason. And that is the beauty of what David's doing here is he's not ignoring the consequences, the reality of his sin against others. He's saying under every sin, there's a greater sin. And that is treason against God, the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. Your creator who knows you, wants what is best for you, has said, as long as you trust me, you you will be good. You will be on the path of life. But what we do is we commit treason. We put other people, things, places in his place. That's idolatry. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, An example, if I lie to one of you about how long it took me to prepare for this, how long it took, oh, it only took me 30 minutes. I'm trying, I'm lying to you, uh, which is a sin against you. I'm not telling you the truth, 
but there's something under that. Why am I lying? Pride. Pride. I want, I want you to think I'm impressive. I want affirmation, notoriety, my reputation has become my God. And therefore, in making that my God, I've removed the God mm-hmm. of the universe from uh, the equation, at least tried to. And therefore, I've committed treason. I've, I've stabbed in the back. I've ran from. I've betrayed my only true king and made something else sit in his throne. And so I want us not just to know what sin is, but to acknowledge the weight of it. Because we can, we can justify a white lie. I, it, didn't, it didn't matter. I ought to... You know, no, I don't that need dress to, really looks good on her. Yeah. No, it, it really does. I don't <laughs> need to say. I don't need to say sorry because it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. When in reality, what we're doing is we're attempting to dethrone the God of the universe. You're putting yourself at enmity with God. And and, and what David shows us here is his worldview. God is on the throne. He lives for an audience of one. Yep. So when he sins, he first sins against God. Like you said, there's collateral damage against man, but the, the, the viewpoint, the worldview of David is he lives for an audience of one and in all sin, the first person that you have to confess and, and apologize to and ask for forgiveness and repent of the sin from is God yeah. first. And that's a, I just think that's a very clear distinction. Absolutely. Our sorrow should be first that we sinned against God and then second of how that affected uh, the, the people involved. Yeah. And he goes on in verse five, saying, help me here a little bit. It says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse six says, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So what's that telling us about our sin and our nature, our condition? We're born into it. Hmm. I mean, there's no getting around it. Uh, unfortunately, outside of the garden, this is the reality of the world we are born into. I mean, and this backtracks all the way to the first pages of, of Scripture, Genesis 3, the fall. Uh, life outside of the garden, Scripture's pretty clear. Every one of us is born into sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned mm-hmm. and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is a universal term, all. Yeah. Uh, so I think... David, even though, like what you said, Burke, he was the king, he was the dude, he killed the giant, all these things, yet he too was born into sin. Mm -hmm. And you see that played out horribly in the events that we've already kind of talked through. But uh, yeah, just it's our our sinful nature, our depravity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is difficult for us as men, acknowledging our sin. But the good news is that's that's part one of the gospel. And it is part one. You can't skip this part. We have to appeal to God. We have to acknowledge our sin to God. Uh, and what we've looked at here in verses three through six is um, I am a sinner. I'm the one who's doing it. My sin has put me at enmity with God. And to your point, it's my condition. I don't, I don't even have a hope of getting out of it. I need something outside myself right. to do exactly that. And what David wisely leads us and shows us in our pursuit of repentance is our next step is ask him for forgiveness. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be made clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. He's talking to God, asking God for forgiveness. Help us with verse seven, just that very first line. Purge me with hyssop. Purge me with hyssop. You don't this, I'm telling you, this is one of the things with the Psalms You've not that, been that I, I, I can fall 
pray to that I'll, I'll be tracking with it. Mm-hmm. And then I hit an image that just doesn't land on me. And I'm like, okay, let's find a new one. And that's just such my nature to do that. So help me a little bit with. Lysol, right? It's like. Hyssop? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You just disinfect it, call it a day, send it home. Uh, hyssop is, Sorry. is a little plant. It's like a little purple flowery plant, I think. I actually have some in my front yard, not due to being yeah. good with is that right? with the plants, but on accident. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm bad with the plants, and therefore I have hyssop in my front yard. But what <laughs> what he's referring to there is hyssop was used as a tool in um, pursuing purification and atonement in the Old Testament. So an example, if you guys remember the Passover, God is is sending the angel of death to kill all of the firstborns, except for those who have wiped blood um, uh, across their door frames. They are to wipe blood on their door frames with hyssop. Mm. So it's a a plant, they dip it in blood and the blood of the lamb, they wipe it and they are now marked and, and given deliverance and life, which if that's not pointing you to the gospel, Wow. We're missing it, fellas. Yeah. It is wow. the blood of the lamb. It, this is the tool that we have to access redemption through Christ's death for us. That is good. what hyssop is insinuating. Wash me and I will be made whiter than snow. This isn't, I want to be a little bit better. This is, I need to be transformed. You're the one who can do it. Mm. Um, so we need to ask him for forgiveness, but this can be difficult. <laughs> Burke, why do you think guys have a hard time asking for forgiveness. Well, I think, you know, we've hit it a little bit. First, you have to acknowledge your sin. Yeah. You have to, I was wrong. Yeah. I need to be forgiven. Pride's in the way there, yeah. Right. Um, you know, second of all, I, I think, and we've hit on this some uh, today and, and last few weeks, like it goes back again to your concept of who God is. Mm-hmm. He, he is a good, good father. He, he, he's already forgiven you, but, but he, do, he does want to hear your heart. He does want to hear you ask for forgiveness. It goes back to that example I gave with one of my kids. You know, it's like, I, I'm going to forgive them, yeah. but I, I do really want to hear them say they're sorry. I really do, you know. Um, Jimmy Dykes, I just got done reading Jimmy Dykes' book, uh, the ESPN basketball analyst, and uh, did an interview with him. We're going to be sending that out to you guys. Hopefully you enjoy it. Just a beautiful man of God who's written a book, um, you know, kind of about spiritual disciplines. And he has a quote in that book that just stuck with me. It says, no other act is tied more to obedience than forgiveness. And that might not be true for all men, um, but I think it's true for a lot of men. Like it's sometimes we have a hard time forgiving others. Yeah. So we have a hard time asking for forgiveness. So it's almost like the opposite of the golden rule, right? Like doing to others what you would have them do to you. It's like, I don't really like to forgive. So I don't, I'm not really going to ask for forgiveness. Um, but I, I think when I think about, you know, Kyle had a, had a uh, quote years ago in a sermon where he says, the degree with which you've accepted grace is the degree with which you will give it. And so, again, it goes back to your view of who you are and what kind of a sinner you are. You don't have to do what David has done to need unlimited grace for your sin, right? But you have to view it in that regard for you to be able to give it. And so um, sometimes our inability to ask for forgiveness comes from the fact that we've got so much junk in our own heart that we don't want to forgive other people of that we really would rather just not ask for forgiveness because then we'll feel better about not forgiving others. Uh, and so I think that's a kind of an internal strife that a lot of men struggle with. That, yeah, that's a, a really good word. Uh, and we, we hinted at it a little bit, Sam, but this is David. 
he's, he's pre-Jesus in, in terms of chronology on a, on a historical timeline. So he's asking God for forgiveness in the way that they had forgiveness before, through sacrifices. Uh, how do we as Christians plea for forgiveness? What does that look like as a New Testament believer? Still, same premise, it requires sacrifice. Uh, mm. And I'm going to keep running to Romans on you guys. So <laughs> Romans 6.23, this is the gospel in a nutshell, says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life mm. in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there still had to be a sacrifice. There still had to be a death to atone, to, to be the propitiation for our sins, fancy word. And that was that was fulfilled, that culminated in, Jesus. So this is interesting. I, I said uh, in terms of defining or explaining our sinful nature, Romans 3.23, let me go back to that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I mean, and that can sound like some churchy lingo, mm-hmm. but essentially from the beginning, the wages of sin is death. Yeah. You deserve death. Yeah. The gift of God is the sacrifice of Jesus. That's it. And this is all foreshadowing that. This is all saying, mm-hmm. here's how we did it, but here's what it's pointing to is a great, fuller, more realized version. So to, to reiterate the A's that we've gone through and in, in our template of repentance, we appeal to God. We acknowledge our sin to God. We ask him for forgiveness. And then verses 10 through 12, um, note here as, as we talk about these, these are all going to the Lord with these things. We're taking them all to the Lord. This final one is ask him for transformation. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So before I want to draw out some of the truth of that, I think it would be interesting to hear, um, Men are always trying to be better, always trying to transform, always trying to grow in general. There, uh, there aren't loads of apathetic men who wouldn't say, I'm trying to be better. What are some of the means in our flesh that you think we try and pursue transformation and why do they fall short? Go ahead, Sammy. I think a lot of us put our self-worth and our identity in our physique <laughs> or maybe in our outside of those who do it for a living are athletic abilities or a number of other things that are very fleshly. And we look to that as being our worth mm. and, and we lose sight of what true value lies in. Uh, but we get bent out of shape. We get irritable. We get frustrated. We get downtrodden when we're not setting, uh, when we're not achieving goals that maybe we've set for ourselves and we're missing sight of what God defines as valuable. Yeah. If he judges the heart, not the outward opinion, appearance, then maybe we're, we're looking to the wrong thing. Yeah. Right, <clears throat> yes. Um, I think what makes one of the things that troubles my soul, uh, go back to a term we talked about last week, is how many men will, will um, settle for the transform, transformative uh, desire in their life for that to be given to them from somebody else's wisdom, mm-hmm. another man's wisdom. So I've messed up. I'm going to run to you. What would you say? 
Yes, okay. and that would actually be on the good end of the spectrum from okay. what I'm talking about. Like, I, I want to have a better marriage. Let me go read this book from this person. I want to handle my finances better. Let me go read this book from this person, yeah. right? Um, we, need to, uh, we need help with raising our children. Let me go to this conference led by these people. None of that's bad. Yeah. But I think what, again, what troubles me, what makes me sad, not that I can't be guilty of it, but like, why don't we go to the source? Yeah. Like, why, I, why do we refuse the source? The God of the universe has spoken to us through his word and it's alive and active and he wants to partner with you in transforming you in whatever area of your life you're looking for transformation. He's put that power of the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He's made that available to you. Yet you want to go read some dude who's taken what he learned from God and put it in a book. Again, not bad. I just pub Jimmy Dykes' book. Good book. Go read it. But don't do that in place of meeting with God no. and allowing him to fill that void in your heart. And I just think, why do men struggle with it? Because they keep trying to do it in either of their flesh or leaning on someone else's flesh to help them. Yeah, and that is an excellent way to state what verses 10 through 12 are doing. I think guys run to, we use our guilt to motivate us. We use our shame to motivate us. We say, I'm never, I feel so bad about this. I'm never doing that again. I mean, think about pornography addictions. I knew I shouldn't have done that. It hurts my family. It hurts my, mm -hmm. no, I, I won't do that anymore. A month later, I'm on a computer. Like, right. What, why do our means fall short? It's because uh, you see a shift in language. Verses one through, my, one through nine, David's saying, um, wash me, remove this from me, cleanse me of this, get this out of me. He's pulling up roots, right? Idols in his heart, pulling up roots, and now there's a hole, and he shifts in tone, and he says, create in me renew in me, mm -hmm. restore to me. There's, there's, we've gone from negative, taking away, to put in me. And what he's putting, he's asking to be put in him, is the joy of salvation. And, and what, what God, the God of the universe, is saying to you through his word, via the Psalm of David, is that your porn addiction is a sin against him. Yeah. It's and, no good for your marriage. It might not be good for your bank account. It's certainly not good that you're hiding and maybe your kids are pulling it up. Like all that stuff's bad, but like you're sinning against him. That's what he wants to tell you. That's, that's what he wants you to grasp. That's the way he wants you to see that sin. And I think some of our other questions, the reason why we don't acknowledge sin or seek forgiveness or ask for forgiveness, because truthfully, we don't want to get into the depths of that because that makes us view our sin yeah. in a totally different light than my wife doesn't like it. Yeah. That's a totally different way to look at it. And he wants to fill you up as he, as he removes those. He wants to fill you up with grace, mm. the joy of your salvation. I, I, my love for my wife is not enough to keep me from sinning against her because I am sinful. But he says, create in me a pure heart. I am, I am running to him. I am asking him to transform me. That is what, that's what David's doing here. And that transformation comes by the means of grace. Jesus' death and resurrection. If I can be saved this much, I'm overflowing with joy. That cup of overflowing back in Psalm 23, I'm overflowing with the ability to change because the Holy Spirit is here. He's working, he's moving. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanna reiterate, we need to hit these, these last couple of verses. But as we look at repentance, appeal to him and his goodness and his character, acknowledge your sin, mm -hmm. 
Ask him for forgiveness to, to cleanse you of that, but then ask him to transform you so that you might not fall back into your flesh, but that you might live by the spirit. Then verse 13 says, I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Sam, he, he makes a shift here from me uh, to, to external. Explain that a little bit. Goes communal. Yeah. Mm. I think this is a great place for Burke to do a little soapbox uh, prep talk or uh, pep talk on multiplication. But before I get out of the way for him to do that, I, I would say in, in chewing on that, thinking about that this week and how his his instant response is to teach others about who God is and God's forgiveness. My first thought was to run to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus does. He commands mm-hmm. us to go do that. Mm-hmm. But the more I really sat in it and thought about it, before Matthew 28, there's a lot of things that Jesus does. There's a lot of, there's lepers that are healed. There's blind eyes that are opened. There's a woman who's condemned in adultery and he, he spares her. And almost every one of those accounts, when Jesus steps in and radically changes their life, the next line you read is they ran and they told everybody. Mm-hmm. He cast out a demon and this dude runs back to town. Sometimes and tells, against his will. Yeah, and tells right? everybody. <laughs> yeah. It is the natural response that when you come into a, a real life understanding and experience of the transformative, redemptive power of, of God. Amen. You can't contain it. It's mm-hmm. going to overflow mm-hmm. and you're like, holy smokes, mm-hmm. I got to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's so encouraging that like you said, this is chronologically way before Jesus is born into a manger. And, and what's his first response is, I, I'm going to tell other people. I'm going to share this good news with other transgressors. And so they will return to you too. Yeah. Multiplies. And the, the Psalm 1, the fruitfulness there, mm. that's a derivative of, to your point, repentance. Like this, this isn't just about getting things off my chest. As I'm transformed, as the Lord transforms me, repentance leads to fruitfulness. And then 16 and 17, Burke, I want to hear your thoughts here. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So we've kind of given a template for repentance here. What are those two verses saying? Man, it just blows me away that in the, the heart of Judaism, the king of Israel is like, he knows God doesn't want lame rituals. You know, practices of faith are not in opposition to God, yeah. right? We take communion every week here in church. Like we do baptisms. Like those aren't against the will of God. What yeah. does God want above all of that? David knew it right in the heart of his prime as a king. Mm-hmm. He wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants you to offer that to him so that he can fill it up. He can put it back together and he can use it for his glory and the good of others. And to piggyback on what Sam said, when God, there, there is no more convicting passage um, from a day-to-day standpoint for me than out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. God wants your heart and when he has it, the words that come out of your mouth, especially when you're walking in step with the spirit, but they will reflect what's in there. And again, not, not in, the, in, the, in the sense of, a, of a trying to beat guys up or who loves Jesus more, but just a, just a clear question for the group. If Jesus is never coming out of your mouth, I think you have to ask yourself how much he's in your heart. 
I mean, I, I know that's maybe a really practical thing to say, but like yeah. God desires a broken and contrite heart. Like that's what he desires for us. We, we are called to give that to him. He's going to fix that. He's going to fill that up. That doesn't mean we're perfect or we don't have days where we're lamenting or repenting. Yeah. But like when he does that, the words that come out of your mouth, are, they should reflect that. Um, and so for those of you that are struggling with, well, uh, you know, everywhere I go, I try to preach a sermon and every once in a while I'll say a word. That's kind of one of my favorite quotes. Like, okay, but man, at some point God's asked you to say something that reflects him and that points people to him. Uh, and David kind of shows us that here of, man, God is renewing his soul and, and, and fixing his broken heart. And yeah. his motivation from that is, man, he wants to, he wants to share that with others, not in practice of, of rituals that are shallow or hollow, but yeah. in, in uh, giving God his heart. And it's I good. think as, as an inspired prayer, this teaches us a lot of the how, and we, we've said that from the very start, but I, David's iterating here that his being is more important than his doing, mm -hmm. right? We, we, I think you said it very well, um, he wants your heart. So you can appeal to God, acknowledge your sin, ask for forgiveness, ask for transformation and do all of that without a heart that truly wants him and, and nothing will change. Mm. And it's unfortunate. But if, if God becomes a means to our end, we're not going to get what we truly want. But if he becomes the end, if we want God, if we give him a man after God's heart, if we want to have him first and foremost, that is when these practices lead to true transformation. So uh, those last couple of verses, 18 and 19, um, they really sort of highlight the communal aspect that, that Sam mentioned previously. He's talking about Jerusalem and Zion. He's saying the people pursue repentance. And I think it bookends well with the, the front end of this Psalm that we as men in man challenge um, should repent individually to the Lord, but there's gotta be some community aspect to it. And so, uh, Sam, will you pray for us? And then fellas. Real, real quick on the community aspect. David had an incredible resume of walking with God. Man, just one bad decision. Mm. One bad decision led to just a total mess. And that's why we need each other. Because guys, Amen. all of us are one bad decision away, not from losing our salvation, but from being in a total mess. And so our prayer is that you continue to meet, you continue to use each other. We need Nathans in our life to point out our sin, but man, don't ever kick your heels up and say, I got this thing figured out. Meet with God, be on your knees desperate for him to enter into your heart on a daily basis so that we can hopefully live a life where we avoid those, those decisions, man, that lead to really messy situations. I, I think we learned that clearly here through this psalm. Yeah, that's good. Sam, you want to pray a psalm yeah, for us? Absolutely. Father God, we ask that you would have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, we ask, Father, that you would blot out our transgressions that you would wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, that you would cleanse us of our sin. Um, we thank you that we can ask for that boldly in the name of your son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, but Lord, we acknowledge that against you and you only we have sinned and we've done what is evil in your sight. Uh, and we ask God in light of that, that you would create within us a clean heart. Mm -hmm. uh, that then Lord would lead to us teaching others about your goodness, your mercy, your redemptive power, your forgiveness, your grace. 
God, we acknowledge that sacrifices uh, are, are nothing compared to the gift of a, a broken and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. So, God, we ask, Spirit, that you would break us over our sin. Would you help us to experience that brokenness, um, the weight of it, in light of a holy, righteous God? And then, God, immediately following, help us to rejoice and dance in the, the, the glorious, gracious gift of your son, Jesus, and, and the forgiveness and the healing and the redemption that comes through him. We ask all of this for the good of your bride and for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.